Um, we're starting a new series uh, for Advent, um, and we are going to focus a lot on the hope that Jesus brings, has brought, and is bringing now in the past, present, and future. Um, I'm concerned that waiting well is not something we do very well at all, that we get a little bit antsy to have things now and things that need to be prepared and things that need to be done. Um, We get after Thanksgiving, actually really after Halloween, we get in the Christmas spirit and we just jump right over Thanksgiving and we want Christmas to happen. We want whatever that is to be here now ready to go. We don't have the patience anymore to wait for those things. We have such a consumer-driven society, a a consumer-driven mindset, that at these times we look at those things and we're like, I want this to be here now. Um, I once uh, saw an Amazon ad that said, from from zero to happy in one hour or less – And what Amazon was trying to do was get you to understand that we can make you happy with all these stuff because you don't have to wait for it. And isn't that the way that we're doing things now is that if Amazon can't get it to me in 15 minutes, then I'm going to go and find it somewhere else. Our waiting and our waiting and our waiting has grown weaker and weaker. In fact, waiting was one of the spiritual practices that we had been working on and thinking about a few months ago as we walked through those. That waiting is an art form. It's something that we can develop in ourselves. This series that we have planned, it's going to challenge our negative assumptions that waiting means inaction or apathy or lack of passion. It's going to challenge the idea that when we sit around and wait, that we don't have to be idle, that we don't have to just watch the world go by. So often growing up, I thought that having faith and making a commitment in Christ meant that I was saved and now I was just waiting to get into heaven. And what we want to do is challenge that idea by some of the things that Jesus is calling us to. And we're going to look through these next four weeks at four passages in Matthew that, that Jesus comes to earth to challenge us to use this time of waiting for good gain and good measure. Advent is a really exciting time of year because Advent now is the same as Advent then. We are living in the same time that Jesus was living when he came to preach to the church. When he saw his disciples and his followers, he said, you are going to be waiting for a while. You're going to be waiting for that day to happen. And here we are, we're still waiting we want to move toward a waiting that is deliberate and disciplined and just. And so I want us to take a look this morning at the book of Matthew and chapter 24. And Jesus is teaching some of those here. And he says this, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, Except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what watched the thief? What time the thief? This is the big question that Jesus poses. This is the big illustration that Jesus poses to his followers, his disciples, listening to him there. If the homeowner had known what time the thief would be there, then he would be very prepared and he would push off any threat to his existence. He wouldn't allow anything to be stolen because he would be aware and he would be prepared. The season of Advent invites us to consider again the character of the Christian existence of between the times, as Karl Barth has said, that we're living in this moment of Jesus has come to the earth once and we are in between the time when he will come again. And what does that cause us but tension? That causes us this moment of how much should I wait? How much should I prepare? How much should I be invested in this? If God says he's coming again in the form of Jesus, what can I do? Is that waiting? How can I prepare the house for the arrival of Jesus? At one point, it reminds us of God's promise to Israel of Emmanuel, of God with us, that God is coming as Jesus has shown. But even before that, the promises in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, as we read through the Old Testament, the promise from day one that there would be someone who would crush the head of the serpent underfoot. And if we thought that that rescue was going to come from Israel itself, if we thought that that rescue was going to come from the people, we were wrong. And so we kept watching. We kept being on alert. Where's this Messiah going to come from? Where is this Savior going to come from? God comes in human flesh to deliver God's people from sin and evil, but it also causes us to anticipate the day on which Emmanuel will return as King of Kings. You see how all these songs are Christmas songs in themselves? That King of Kings, as we sing about and we pray about and we worship him, because it's all about the anticipation of what comes next what comes in the future. Yes, Jesus has come and dwelt among us. But our hope and our expectation, the thrill of that hope that comes in the future is not just that he has come, but it's that he will come again, the anticipation of that moment. 
Now, Jesus in this section says that he seems to be responding to questions about the future return. Now, this was really kind of an obsession with first century Jews. They long debated about when and where and how the return of the Messiah would take place. In fact, this was one of the ways that the Pharisees would test Jesus is calling into question, okay, well, if you truly are the Messiah, one among many messiahs at the time, by the way, if you truly are the one that's been predicted in the scriptures, tell us when you're coming back. Tell us about that day of judgment. Tell us about the great grand day of the Lord, because we're all very curious as to when that day is going to happen. But Jesus really warns his audience about making assumptions on when that's going to happen. He says, let's not do it. Because only God knows when it's going to take place. In fact, he specifically says, even Jesus and the angels will not know. Now, this is a very unusual place for us to see our Savior, Jesus, It's a very unusual place to see our God in human flesh say, I do not know. And I don't think I've ever stopped to think about that. I don't think I've ever stopped to think about God in human flesh coming down and saying to us, I do not know the time. Only the Father knows the time. And we think about the greatness of Jesus and his teaching and his genius and his creativity and his way that he can know people before he even sees them. The the encounter of Nicodemus and the woman at the well in John 3 and 4. He knows all about them before they even speak. And yet here's Jesus telling his disciples, telling his believers, telling his followers, people who were looking to him for answers, He's saying, I do not know, and angels will not know, and the Son of Man will not know. Only the Father will know the time, so it is not for you to know. Jesus is not usually associated with this uncertainty, with this perplexity, with this confounding mystery. We look to Jesus as the rock, as the temple, as the one who has the answers, seems to me that that adds a level of truth to the whole thing. And if someone wanted to prove themselves false, if someone wanted to say, I know when God is coming back, I know when the return is happening, follow me and we can prepare ourselves for it and then we can go off in the clouds like we're supposed to. seems to me that that person would be a false teacher. seems to me that that person would be a false teacher. Messiah, or literally the word that John uses in Revelation, an antichrist against Messiah. And so Jesus is very clever here because he says, you will not know, I will not know, angels will not know, so just don't care about it. Actually, he doesn't say that last part, does he? And we'll get to that in just a second. But Jesus uses two examples of how we won't know what's happening. 
He talks first about the time of Noah, and we can hearken back to that. We can go back in our memory about what happened in the time of Noah. People were carrying on with their lives. They were eating. They were drinking. They were dancing. They sought pleasure in all its forms, no matter what it was. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. They were basically living their lives. They were going about their business as if God didn't exist, as if God didn't have a promise to his people. And all of a sudden, even though Noah had told them time and time again, there's this great flood that's coming. There's the waters that are going to rise. There are things that are going to happen. We need to get into the ark. By the way, the picture of the ark is the picture of Christ. If you want a perfect symbol of who Christ is, get on the boat of the ark. Let's all pile in. Let's put on Christ. This is why he talks about Noah. This is why it's so important. He's not the Noah of the story. He's the ark of the story. Things are happening and you're going through your life as if none of this matters. And here is the ark. Here's the boat in front of us. The same word for ark is used uh, for basket. The basket that Moses was sent down the Nile River in, that's the same word in Hebrew. Because an ark is just something that rescues. An ark is something that saves. And so Christ is now putting himself squarely in this story and saying, the times are here. You will live your life as if nothing is happening. And yet here I am as the basket to save you down the Nile. I am here as the boat that will rescue you from the floodwaters. If you want to be saved, don't pretend it doesn't exist. And then the second is a series of these images about people working in the field and one person's going to be taken and another's just going to be left standing there. And uh, a woman will be grinding uh, wheat and mill in the courtyard and one will be taken and one will be left behind. And then there's this parable about the thief. And Jesus is the thief in this story, in this parable. And again, this is a frightening image for us because we consider Jesus to be great and holy and good and loving, but comparing himself to a thief that comes in the night, we don't know. But these are the images that Christ has given us. These are the images that he has said, you are to prepare yourselves for this. So the question is, for whom is the coming of Jesus like a thief? The master of the the house is simply a negative counterpart of the watchful disciple. The the master of the house is someone who has not prepared well enough, who has not done the things that he should have been doing, not not living in expectation, not living his life in preparation for Christ. Jesus uses the verb to watch or to be awake or to be ready. He uses that verb three times in the last three verses. And so it's important here to notice what Jesus is saying, is that 
The, Jesus will be like a thief. He will be like a robber. He will be like a burglar. He will be like someone who is coming into your house and stealing you away if you are not prepared. It's the disciple who is prepared, who is obeying, who is listening, who is in his heart preparing the expectation of Christ. So the purpose of this teaching is to understand the necessity for watchfulness in light of the uncertainty surrounding the coming of Jesus. And this is all what hope is. Hope is built on the fact that we can have trust and we can have faith and we can have reliance in Christ regardless of the uncertainty that happens in our lives. And so the response of a disciple, the response that we have in our lives must be one of developing an art of watchful living. Jesus isn't saying that daily life has to stop when you become a Christian. Daily living, the work in the field and the courtyard, these are all necessary things to maintain life, to maintain control. We must look through our ordinary days to be alert to the coming of the extraordinary day. That all of these things will continue to take place. That our lives will remain normal. We will have a sense of normalcy, but we also need a sense of urgency. That some of these things are not going to take care of themselves. Some of these things are looking at us right in our face. Some of these things are staring us in the eyes and saying, help me. Draw me in. Become closer with me. And God's saying, don't wait for me to solve those problems. You have been sent here for a purpose. Don't waste this time. And the truth of our lives is that it's marked with a lot of uncertainty. A lot of times we don't know if we'll have enough money to make it to the end of the month. We don't know if we'll have enough food to feed our families by the end of the month. We don't know whether our jobs are secure. We don't know if our housing situation is secure. We don't know if our family's health is secure. Any of these things can change in a moment. Now, what Jesus is not saying is go to the extreme and worry about these things every day. He's not saying take your anxiety to the next level because if you worry about these things and and are very particular about the way that they happen, then you will control them. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, in spite of the fact that you cannot control these things, remain hopeful. Remain hopeful in an unanxious state. In fact, I would say that the bedrock of a, uh, of a righteous person is hope and that the opposite of hope is anxiety. To be hopeless is to be filled with anxiety and uncertainty about the future of things coming up. When we look in the Old Testament about, uh, about what the word hope means, what it what it's broken down to. It always means the expectation of something good coming. And fear is always the expectation of something bad coming. And so God is calling us through the work of Jesus, through the work of his disciples, through the work of community and the church and the people that are spurring us on and encouraging us around us. He's encouraging us to live our lives as if something good is coming this way. 
To live in that hope, that expectation, that anticipation means that we acknowledge that something good is coming. But I think what makes our uncertainty worse is that there's a real sense that people with real faith or deep faith or really strong prayer warriors or really good givers or people that read the Bible a lot or people that never miss a Sunday of church, I think that what distracts us on this is that people like this have clarity on all these issues. And then we start to feel guilty. Well, maybe I'm not certain about my future. Maybe I'm not certain about what Jesus has called me to. Maybe I'm not certain about what comes next because I haven't prayed about it or I haven't read the scriptures hard enough or maybe my faith isn't even real. How am I supposed to hear from God? I I don't even know if the Spirit's working in my life. But this is just falseness. This is just the devil working on us, telling us lies again to say only real Christians can have clarity. Jesus is standing here in front of his disciples and saying, I will not have clarity on this issue. So why do we think that we should be able to figure it out if Jesus won't be able to figure it out? Why do we think that we can run through the math? Why do we think that we can run through all of the stories and point to the time and the day and the hour and say, this is it. This is the way it's happening. Now I'm going to go plant a church and tell everyone about it. There's so much debate. There's so much excitement. There's so much quarreling and conflict surrounding when Jesus comes back. And Jesus says, let's just relax for a second. How can we wait? How can we be good people of Advent and anticipate the coming of Christ? Jesus has an eye on what is to come and believes something decisive is going to happen in the future. But he keeps attention focused on the present day and the needs of the hour. He says, this is, this is just going to distract us. This is going to distract us from the work that actually needs to get done. We're living in a time where there are so many things that we can do to help. So many ways that we can encourage people. And Jesus is like, do not worry about the second coming. Do not uh, worry about their arrival. Jesus encourages us not to get distracted by the things of the world, but also not to neglect them with the busy work. Uh, There's this uh, bumper sticker I saw once that said, um, quick, Jesus is coming, look busy. Hmm, yeah, it's nice, but it's wrong. Because Jesus is not asking us to look busy. Jesus is not asking us to fill our time with busy work while we wait for his return. Jesus is encouraging us to get involved, get dirty. Don't do busy work, do dirty work. Jesus calls on believers to have hope, not certainty. He's not saying you're going to make my arrival happen because you're in there digging in the soil. You're in there dealing with messy people. You're dealing with their lives and you're getting involved in their relationships and you're helping people who can't help themselves. And that's going to bring about the day even better. So just work as hard as you can because that will transform everything in the way I want it to. 
Again, this is the false hope that we have, we've built ourselves up into. Jesus says, I will come again. In the meantime, use what I've given you. The work of the Christian is to be accomplished in the spirit of wakefulness or watchfulness. To be prepared, to be ready, to be awake to all of these things. The darkness is over. Let's not live our lives as though we're still trapped in darkness. And Jesus' response to those people was, is the same as his response is to us today. Wake up. Get over it. It's happened. I'm here. I've given you new life. I've trampled over these things, but we're not yet ready for that extraordinary day. So don't just do busy work. Don't just fill your days with waiting. Don't just fill your time with trying to figure out what comes next. Don't be concerned about the uncertainty. Don't feel the anxiety and the fear, but live as hopeful people, as people who have hope despite the uncertainty of the world. Now, living with hope, living with that anticipation, living with expectation does something to us. If we sit around and think that, well, I should just wait. Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, we need you here. This thing's not working. Come and fix this thing for us. Then we're going to get troubled. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to get frustrated. Because Jesus isn't coming to fix those things. He's coming to end all those things. And sometimes we get so impatient, then then we start to say, well, maybe if I just elect the right people, things will happen. And we've been saying this thing since the Roman times, that if we just elect the right people, things will go the way I want them to go. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, the government is not going to solve it. The church of God has been given the power not to solve problems, but to attend to people, to live in a state of wakefulness, to be watchful, to be alert to the things around us, to meet people where they are. Jesus is saying, don't hand this off onto someone. This is the greatest joy of your life. This is the greatest hope of your life that you can get in there and do this, working with the Spirit as you've been called to do. There is a tendency for people and even Christians to look out for their own interests rather than to be attentive to the needs of others. And Jesus is saying, while you're waiting, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you stop looking after yourself and attend to the needs of the people around you? Now, the key element for Jesus is not the work, as important as that is. Because again, work is not going to save us. Work is not going to bring about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here and we're living in it and proof of the kingdom of God is that work. We don't work to save ourselves or bring about that change. We are here doing it. And the proof that it's here is what the church does and accomplishes. The indispensable part of faithful work is the awareness or sensitivity Jesus names as wakefulness or watchfulness. He, he does not define this awareness with a lot of clarity, though. 
He's not like, these are the things that you should be doing instead of the things that you are doing. Spelling out all of its details, but instead he indicates that at least the, the work is not what is all there is to do. Work will not do everything and cannot do everything, and we don't expect it to do that. We expect it to be the proof of the kingdom. We expect it to be Jesus living here among us as Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And so we know that discipleship is not an event. It's not a phase, but it's a constant state of being prepared and committed to fellow humans. And this is where we want to land today. This is where we want to wrap up our first week of Advent with this hope, the idea of being prepared. What does that mean to live as a prepared believer? I think it means a couple things. First of all, being prepared means living in the expectation that the teachings and example of Jesus can become and are the new normal for our lives and the new normal and the expectations for the world around us. I think being prepared means that we are listening to those teachings and we are obeying those teachings and we are putting them into action. And I think that action step is what separates the prepared from the unprepared. Because we can come and we can listen and we can read and we can pray and we can absorb all that stuff and then we can keep it in and then not do anything with it. Because we're waiting and we're growing and we're becoming better people. Let's start acting like better people. What would we do now if we were the best version of ourselves? What would we do now with what God has called us to do? What would we do now if we were the version of ourselves that Jesus has called us to. That's Jesus' plan here. Don't waste it by growing. Don't waste it by waiting or maturing. Act like you're already there. Act like you're supposed to be there now. Act like the church and the kingdom is alive. I also think that being prepared means living with the hope that Jesus' return is expected. Uh, We are not called to live with an expectation of when it will happen. There is uncertainty in that. But we are called to live with the hope that it is real and it will happen. And how do we now live our lives in that expectation? How do we now go about our ordinary lives until we get to the extraordinary day? We must prepare the bride, not predict when it will happen. Preparation is all that there is now. And so when we live in this Advent time of waiting and waiting and waiting, and the expectation and the anxiety and the anticipation that comes with waiting, we just seem to be treading water, not moving, not sinking not floating, but just there. Jesus is very clear that believers are judged not so much by how well they are prepared to enter heaven, but how well they have been attending the concerns of others and the community around them. Storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. 
And this is a big, this is a big idea. That hope does not mean exactly what we think it means. Hope does not mean that we have this anticipation that Jesus will be there and so we can be hands off for as much as we want to be. Jesus has invited us into this process. And it's through that, it's through that understanding that we can live in this time and wait well as people of God.